If irony had a flavor, it would taste like steel. Oxidized. Unforgiving. My tongue is rusty from it when I phone my son on Saturday mornings. We get ten minutes. He won't give me five. Are you through, Mom? He says when I tell him I love him. He hangs up. Every week, it's the same thing. A large metal door separates me from my children. Plexiglass. Fiber optic cables. From the outside, the walls of the Richardson complex look worn, the stone etched by snow and time. But the interior is scarred by a far worse erosion. The patients here roam halls eaten away by generations of rats, joists rotting from seasonal ice dams. Our minds are as creaky as Ward E's floors. When I wake in the morning, plaster has rained down from the ceiling. A fine sand coats my sheets. Perhaps I'm just molting, my skin flaking away so that one day I can be someone else, someone new. Before I was sent here, there were rumors the mayor planned to shut the asylum's doors, eject the so-called moderate cases outside the gates, let the obdurate winds drive unwanted inmates downtown, to the empty warehouses and silos, maybe into Lake Erie itself. The plan, I heard, was to reclaim the complex, restore the bones of the building, transform it, maybe into a posh hotel. Keep the form, but not the crazy content. I don't blame the mayor. It's easy to picture chandeliers in our grand foyer, the fourth-floor chapel made up as a ballroom, even the signature towers, helmeted sentries above the patients inside, refitted as suites for political sponsors. Like all things in Buffalo, the plan had stalled. But it would get moving again in six months, a year. With better timing, a moderate case like me would have been left to myself, tricked out with an anklet at home. My luck never changes. From my therapist. What do you make of that? Once again, the taste of rust swells, coats my tongue. I close my eyes so she can't see me rolling them. I thought that I'd left my problems behind, that I'd buried them in the many yards of the many places I've called home since I met my husband. The dorm, Ed and I filled with books, a futon, a used recliner. Later, a rented house with sloping floors. Then, when Ed joined Hampton, Payne, and Lynch, LLC, a Tony compact apartment, seated off an upscale cul-de-sac, not far from the Albright Knox Art Gallery. We used to walk its mossy paths while Bobby, just a colicky infant then, howled shamelessly from his squeaky pram, much to the art lover's dismay. They glared, Ed laughed. His audacity once amused me. Our last home was the farmhouse, our Clarence farmhouse. Now we will never move into the home I imagined, the home Ed promised. One thing I've always wanted. The one thing it seems I can never have. If the past is the lens through which you observe the present, the one lesson I've learned, perhaps the only lesson I've ever learned, is that it's impossible to change your perspective. Only your eyesight changes. Which is to say, over time, it gets worse. Tell me your story. Dr. Kirkbride now counsels, not his, yours. The sun streams in lavishly through the barred windows. We should all feel its heat the same way. My story, doctor? Call me Cheryl.
she says. Her linen skirt whispers against the naugahyde chair, and I suddenly perceive a new sense to my words. Cheryl doesn't hear it, but then Ed often plants thoughts in my mind. Mystery, doctor? She makes a mark in her notepad. There's nothing mysterious about it, I say. Meaning? I just look at her. She knows precisely what I mean. Write it all down, Jane, she says, handing me paper and pencil. A sign of trust. So I do. The past has a bit more give than we like to acknowledge. Like a fat man on a bus you squeeze by to get a free seat, it can make you wonder if the crush was worth the trouble. But if you exert your will, the past teeters a bit. Makes an opening for you where before there was none.